often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 433, if I'm correct. I mean, I think I'm right. Yes, it's 433. I am your host, Josh Albrecht, once again, down inside the Slapbox bunker. In the old dungeon, as it is. Well, no, the dungeon is the Muffin Hut, I think. <laughs> Something like that. It's the bunker. I'm in the bunker, and... I might end up passing out before the end of this podcast. Not because I'm tired of uh, being tired of lack of sleep. It's the uh, fact that I uh, spent hours rewiring my uh, Epiphone Les Paul and putting new uh, potentiometers and uh, actually got some new uh, pickups too. Cause I, I didn't want to go pickups, but uh, had a little screw up there. But the uh, I have a soldering in this room, and the bunker doesn't have a whole lot of... Uh, ventilation and uh i should have at least had the small window open but I, I did not i did open it after i was done soldering and blew a fan to try to <laughs> get out some of that the shit in the air i did step outside for a while get a little fresh air <laughs> man it, it's still still a little bit uh fumey in here uh, that's my biggest ever uh job soldering i've I've only done minor solder stuff, and uh, I gotta say, immediately upon trying to rewire this guitar, I thought to myself, like, why the fuck did I do this? This was stupid, you fucking idiot. Like, this is, you knew this was gonna be a lot of work, why why, why do this? Why do this? Why do this to yourself? And, uh, I don't know, I, start, I started pretty early today. And it's now like 9.06 p.m. currently as I'm recording this. And I got, I don't know, I started around 10. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like nonstop trying to wire the thing, but I had to. There was some difficulties as uh, my Epiphone Les Paul is, uh, I don't know that any Epiphone is American made. You know, the Gibsons are the ones that are made in America. But uh, the this specific Epiphone was made in Korea in 1997 or 98. I, I don't recall when I looked up the serial number. It was something like that. I think I think it was 98. <clears throat> anyway, it's since it's in made in Korea, the potentiometers and uh, a few other things are not the same as the American-made parts in say like the Gibson. And now I knew this was going to be an issue. Because the potentiometers I got from uh, Dark Moon pickups over in uh, New York City, they uh, they make those parts there, and their pots are three eighths of an inch, whereas the Korean, like the Korean and out overseas ones, they're they're smaller. I'm not sure what the uh, measurements are, but they're quite a bit smaller. So for, right from the get go, I had to get a, uh, I knew that in advance, and I had to get a a reamer. <laughs> to ream the holes bigger, like put a bigger hole in there, and uh, that was one of the first things I did. And, and I, I'm, I kind of thought like it might be an issue, but I didn't bother to check my pickups. Uh, when I got these new potentiometers, the pots as they are, uh, I didn't bother to uh, take into account one thing. Uh, there's, uh, I got the more modern wiring set up to where you can split the coil and, uh, you can get more tones out of it that way because the traditional Les Pauls don't, you can't split the coil. It's, uh, less, less components that are going inside the fucking guitar. And, uh... (laughs) I didn't bother to look and to see if my pickups had the right wires to be able to use the modern wiring and do the split coil and such. You got to have four wires coming out of the pickup as the uh, old school traditional pickups only have the one uh, single wire coming out. And uh, lo and behold, uh, <laughs> I thought maybe they did have the four because they weren't the original pickups in there. They were uh, some Seymour Duncans. 
And uh, no, no, they they uh, they only had a single wire going in there. And uh, so uh, after I started going through the process of taking uh, disassembling my guitar and uh, you know putting big holes in it, remnants of big old holes. I realized my problem with that. Actually, and I had already been to the uh, music store once today because I knew I had to get new knobs for my pots, volume knobs on there, because those wouldn't fit, because, again, the pots are bigger. And uh, I knew the pickup situation already might be a problem. Then then I came back, and sure enough, but I wasn't going to, like, buy pickups immediately. I was like, eh. I was like, fuck, I really want to get this done today. So I went ahead and bought new pickups as well. Uh, so I, I haven't tried it out yet. I did get, let's see, uh, uh, I did get, uh, everything rewired, but I haven't, uh, put my bridge back on and restrung it to be able to, uh, check to see, uh, how it sounds and all that. So I, I, I'm not sure yet, uh. Uh, just in case you're wondering if you're uh, big into uh, that sort of thing. The pickups I went with, they were both Seymour Duncan. The bridge pickup is an Invader humbucker. And uh, it's uh, according to their synopsis they give you, the Invader sounds as powerful as it looks. The combination of large ceramic magnets, hot coils, and 12 black Oxide cap screws give this awesome pickup an electrifying force of energy. I really felt I had to speak like that since an invader. Uh, the neck and bridge position models are specially calibrated for even volume balance. For conductor cable allows you to split the coils electrically in phase or out of phase, series or parallel, with or without humbucking effect. This pickup is a direct replacement and requires no guitar modification. Wiring, schematic, and mounting screws are included. Oh, you know what? I didn't even look. <laughs> hey, they haven't. I didn't see that there was any kind of instructions on the wiring. Oh, they did give me screws. Well, that's nice. Now I noticed this shit with the. Uh... But uh, I, I found a, some wiring diagrams online and such. But that was the Invader, so it's. It's going to be more for uh, some distortion and stu- such. I'm hoping it's not like too overpowering. I wanted to get it too crazy. Trying to get kind of a Adam Jones sound, and uh, I know that uh, people, the one, ones he uses in his guitar, the actually Seymour uh, Duncan DDJs, which they stopped manufacturing in like the uh, 80s or 90s. But uh, that's what he uses in his bridge pickup, and then. Uh, People have say the Seymour Duncan SH5 or SH6 will get you close. And uh, the music store, uh, River City Music here in town, did not did not have that. But I was like, ah, fuck it. But, like these these were well pr- decent priced. Uh, like retail on that Invader is one twenty six, but they were selling for eighty nine. So I mean, I got it for uh, I I was gonna order some. I thought about ordering pickups from that uh, Dark Moon. Uh, well, I guess it's just Dark Moon NYC, New York City. I thought it was Dark Moon pickups, but uh, it's just Dark Moon. Um, like they got some great pickups. I've seen like videos and such with that, but man, it's one forty for their cheapest pickup of a humbucker, or one forty five. Uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> so these, I mean, I was all together. I spent about one, one fifty, one sixty. Oh, it was, I guess about, I th- yeah, I think it was uh, about one sixty because even with this our, our price, like I didn't pay what it even said on here. So they gave me a pretty good deal on this. This other uh, pickup I got is a jazz model humbucker, so it's more of a bright, clean tone. So I'm I'm quite interesting interested to see how that'll turn out. Hopefully I did the wiring all right. I have doubts on that. <laughs> it was a bitch. I've never like soldered anything quite like that. And a friend from work, uh Joanna, she had a broken earbud and she's like, "Oh, you're you're into soldering." Uh she's she had gotten them from uh for a 
a gift and asked if I would try to fix them, but they were way too small. I, I was not having any luck with that. It wasn't happening. So that <laughs> was already a bummer starting out. Mm. But yeah, shit. It's uh, It's been a long day. <laughs> this uh, Guinness Extra Stout's making me feel a little bit better. It's helping with the lightheadedness. Hopefully, hopefully I don't pass out, but that'll be interesting. There'll just be a big bunch of dead air. I'll wake up and there's like four hours of nothing recorded. Just me snoring. I'll find out if I have sleep apnea by listening to my recording. <laughs> like, oh shit, I stopped breathing like six times. Uh, as far as I know, I don't have sleep apnea. But from what I've heard, I do snore. Muffin Man had uh, informed me of that the last time I passed out over his house. So, uh... It'd be interesting to get a recording of it. I don't really, you know, hear myself sleep ever, so that, that'll that be fun. Um, I've been watching all kinds of uh, documentaries since uh, upgrading my phone, was it two weeks ago or what have you? Well, I got, well, I didn't actually get the new phone till Monday, I guess it was, but I had put in for the uh, new service a couple weeks ago, whatever, two weeks ago. And uh, I believe I already mentioned this, but I got the HBO Max with my phone service now. So I get to watch without even having to, uh, like, you know, steal Shelly's password or anything. I've got my own HBO Max, and I pay less now with my phone bill. Uh, But uh, I also get a discount from work with AT&T, so... Anyway, I've been watching some documentaries on the old uh, HBO Max. As uh, I did start out with, uh, after I got through, uh, I believe I talked last week of Catherine the Great, which is, it's only like a four or five episodes. There's not many episodes, but each episode's like over an hour. It's a long one. I found it really interesting just because the fact that it's all like mainly shot or at least a good chunk of it is shot in like say like the Winter Palace and such in St. Petersburg and I've been there so it's kind of cool seeing that but I moved on from Catherine to the Great to uh, the finally watching the McMillions which (laughs) I uh, enjoyed watching of course if you're unfamiliar it is about the uh, McDonald's Monopoly scandal and what uh, happened there is, uh, I believe it started in 1987, something like that. Uh, McDonald's, let's go ahead and search that. I'm just curious. Monopoly. It was something like 87. Um, <laughs> I want, It started like late 80s. I'm not seeing... Uh, and uh, it was basically, I guess, through all throughout the 90s and into 2001 is when they, the FBI finally, like, shut this scam down. And uh, what apparently, well, the, the way the documentary starts out, the FBI, uh, there's this, like, rookie FBI agent, uh, Agent Matthews, I believe is his name. I, I don't recall his first name, but... He was a, a rookie at the time. He's a noob, and it's uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And <clears throat> there's not a very big branch, I guess, in Jacksonville. As Agent Matthews had put it, he said, like, it was all boring shit they were dealing with. They uh, <laughs> uh, they were all doing, like, health care fraud. And in the documentary, my, one of my most favorite parts, it's like in the first episode, he says, oh, I'm so fucking bored of this. This is so boring shit. Like, I didn't want to do anything with it. I mean, and then he's like, pauses. Like, I mean, uh, hey, it's it's important. It's important, but, you know, it's boring. <laughs> he's like, so ter- stereotypical, like, uh, like cop, like uh, adrenaline junkie cop is what he, like, comes off as. Is like a, I, I don't know, a movie doesn't come to mind. But uh, he was one of the best parts of the series. And actually, when uh, like he's talking about at the beginning 
uh, there's like another FBI agent, like the seasoned guy, the old pro. And he's a numbers guy and just doesn't have much of a personality, just does everything by the book. He's he's the good cop where I guess Matthews is more of the uh <laughs> the wild card. <laughs> and uh So Matthews goes over to this guy's desk and on his he sees on his screen there's a post it note about Monopoly and Uncle Jerry. So I asked him, What the fuck is this all about, you know? And then the other guys, oh, you know, we got some tip off saying that there was a scam. Got a scam involved with the Monopoly game. <clears throat> and so he's like, fuck all this healthcare boring ass shit. Let's go ahead and like, I want to check up on this. And then uh, <laughs> he checks into it. And apparently from the get go, like once like he, he like uh, checked into it more, they found out like, oh, there is some legitimacy to this. And then that. Most of, pretty much all of the winners were related somehow, which the odds of that happening and all within like the, like pretty close geographically speaking. So it was like the odds on that were just none. They should, it shouldn't fucking happen. But so like red flags everywhere. And uh, so the, the whole, you know, FBI is like on this, like once they, they, get a prosecutor and stuff involved and like they want to take this shit down it's a big huge deal and from the get-go though as soon as they start having meetings about it agent matthews is just like let's go undercover come on put me undercover put me in coach i want to go undercover <laughs> and he's not like an undercover agent he's not in that division but he they were just kept telling him no no until eventually he go okay because he had this idea to do a fake production company, Shamrock Enterprises or Entertainment, something along those lines. I just remember the Shamrock because, you know, I was born in St. Pat's and Shamrock's kind of my thing. But <laughs> uh, they they let him go undercover as this uh, director for these commercials, and they get this woman from McDonald's that uh, – was in touch with all of the winners for the Monopoly game, so they knew her, and she was a legitimate person. And they had her involved in the undercover operation, whereas everybody else in the film crew was an FBI agent. And uh, what, like, that's some of the greatest parts about the the doc. And like, there's like one guy that was supposed to be the the lighting operator. He's an FBI agent, but he's got like the light meter, and uh, he's like. Yeah, I to this day do not know what any of this thing does. Like, I don't know what any of these buttons do. Like, the whole time when we were filming these stories from these winners, because they would go interview the winners and find out, like, well, how did you win? Tell us how you won. Tell them, you know, what you did with your money, all that shit. So they catch them in lies and all that, yada, yada. And (laughs) the lighting guys say, like, yeah, I didn't know what any of this shit. I'm just hitting buttons. I'm just like, hey, can you put some more light over here? I'm just, like, saying random shit. (laughs) Laughing half the time. (laughs) Uh, But, hey, it it worked out. And I feel like I probably would have remembered more of the story, but when it broke, it was, like, right before 9-11, and, like, it was all over the news, and then 9-11 happened, and then boom. Boom. Gone. People did go to the jail over it. A couple people did. Uncle Jerry was the guy that uh, was like the big mastermind of the thing. He worked for, uh, it was uh, Jerry Jacobson, also known as Uncle Jerry. He was the director of security for Simon Marketing. Uh, uh, That was, see, Monopoly didn't do the game themselves. They uh, went through Simon Marketing, who also started doing the uh, Happy Meal for McDonald's. They are the ones that like originated the Happy Meal, and Simon Marketing then had like their own printing company that they went through to print all the shit with. And Jerry Jacobson was uh, as director of security for Simon Marketing would go through and like they had it's just there was a lot of security involved with these game pieces. Like it was, this was like uh, nuclear code kind of security stuff. They would, they had like vault doors where they protected where these game pieces were and shit. 
and you don't really get to find out like how exactly he was stealing, but he's stealing these game pieces and he stole like like pretty much every one for the way it seems that he stole like every fucking massive winning game piece up until <laughs> they like shut shit down in 2001. It was uh it was interesting, but uh <laughs> fucking Uncle Jerry, man. Uncle Jerry. Another great like piece in there was uh the Colombo crime family had gotten involved at one point. And uh Jerry Colombo. Uh he uh <laughs> he was quite the character. According to his brother, I believe his brother's name's Frank, uh he <laughs> Jerry wanted to go legit. He was tired of like doing the bad stuff and uh his his uh, <laughs> his idea of going legitimate business is open a strip club cuz why not? That's how you go legit when you're a mobster. And uh it was called the Fuzzy Bunny. Now, this I guess this was in Jacksonville. I'm not really sure where the Fuzzy Bunny was. I'll look into that. Fuzzy Bunny. <laughs> no, this is... Oh, come on. Somebody's got to have an article on this. This has got to be... <clears throat> See, uh... <laughs> oh, here we go. This, uh... Got an article off on a post Uh... Yeah, uh, so he opens a strip club, and I'm not sure where the strip club was. I want to say, like, the scam and everything was happening in Florida, so I'm assuming Charleston County. Um, Do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, I'm not... Damn it, where the fuck... I don't know where the fuzzy bunny was at. However, anyway, I guess it doesn't it doesn't really fucking matter. Um, <laughs> uh, it was well Charleston. I guess that was South Carolina where he did it because it was like Charleston. Yeah, I guess it was South Carolina is where this took place with the fuzzy bunny and Jerry Colombo. But the wherever they were at. Like it was paste. It wasn't like they were fully nude either. They were like uh, strippers that had the pasties and stu- such on. And uh, so yeah, his his idea of a legit business, but all the local residents really didn't want this fucking strip joint around, and were trying to shut it down. They found whatever code violation they could find uh, <laughs> to uh, shut it down. And then uh, he was constantly getting shut down. And then at one point, let's see if I can find this here. I guess this happened in 1998. Same year my uh, guitar was made, I believe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, according to this article, Gennaro Jerry Colombo was a key player in a multi-million dollar swindle involving McDonald's restaurant's Monopoly prize game. HBO viewers know it as the McMillian scam when God came to him in a dream and God told him to open a strip club in Lasden where Bible readings would be offered pre-show. Which for the documentary, I got the impression he opened the strip club, they kept shutting it down, then he came up with the idea with the Bible stuff. But uh, here we go. That at least is what Columbo told reporters in 98 as he clashed with Charleston County's vice squad, Colombo called his go-go joint the Church of Fuzzy Bunnies. So originally, apparently, it was just the Fuzzy Bunny. Then it was, uh, they found they could get around stuff if they also prayed, too. So it was the Church of the Funny Buzzy, uh, Fuzzy Bunny. Here we go. Here's some more from the story. I want a preacher to read the Bible for two hours every night, and then we'll drink and watch the girls dance. Columbo told the Post to Courier amid the controversy. That was before Facebook and Twitter existed, but the story still went viral. It was strange and salacious. It was all over television and news outlets around the country and in Canada. 
the they up north had also picked it up, of course. Uh, it drove the env- evangelicals crazy, said Nancy Bloodgood, who was involved in the controversy as a lawyer for Charleston County. It was so weird. <laughs> Years later, the FBI would reveal that Columbo was deeply involved in a years-long scam to steal and cash winning game pieces almost all the big prizes in the popular McDonald's Monopoly game. According to Daily Beast, it added up to about $24 million in cash and prizes. Some big old money there. But, uh... <laughs> okay, here, back to the fuzzy bunny. Why in the middle of that would Columbo choose to open a controversial adult club that brought him national attention? Columbo took the answer to his grave the same year Fuzzy Bunnies uh, opened and was quickly shut down. I think it was mainly for attention, said Summer Hodor. Uh, Hodor? Hodor? H-O-D-U-R? Is she related to uh, the Game of Thrones dude? Hodor? (laughs) Charleston area resident who said she was barely 20 when she was a waitress at Fuzzy Bunnies in 1998. Uh yeah, it keeps on going. But there was like in the documentary, you also see like uh, apparently like he won some prizes himself and went on a commercial where he won like a Dodge Viper. But he was actively involved in the scam, and it was uh, pretty great. And like they would keep giving the winning tickets to like Italians, and it was all like all Italians until eventually like Jerry Colombo's wife. Had it gone like, hey, you know, we should probably maybe give it to some minorities and stuff, and maybe in different addresses. <laughs> and uh, they probably would have never gotten caught, but there, you know, there was, uh, according to people at the end of the documentary, it was actually Jerry Colombo, the uh, his mother, that was tired of all the shit and ratted them all out. Had they not been a rat, they would have gotten away with it. Or so one would assume, but man, it is it is an entertaining one. But I think possibly even crazier than that. I I watched it like in one sitting, but it's only I think it's only one episode. It's one documentary as opposed to a docu series, as the McMillions is. But the uh, <laughs> Class Action Park documentary. Uh, it's about Action Park that was in New Jersey. Uh, the water park, which was fucking insane, man. Fucking insane. We, I think, maybe have talked about it in the past briefly on the uh, podcast. But uh, this thing was insane. Like, it, let's see what the, uh, it was an amusement park and water park located in Vernon Township, New Jersey, on the grounds of Vernon Valley Great Gorge Ski Resort. What originally opened to the public in '78, and it went on sometime in the '90s. Uh, there was like this park. The guy that ran it, uh, Eugene Mulville, he uh, he was nuts. Like he uh, he got all of his money off of uh, from like Wall Street. Had like quite a bit of money. And, uh, there was, okay, it closed in September of 96. So, wow, it was, it was open for quite a while. And, uh, so, uh, Eugene Mulville, he, uh, opened this thing. And according to that documentary, he was basically saying, uh, (laughs) everybody, like, uh, Disneyland and Six Flags, they have, like, really serious uh, game designers, and they have a lot of regulations that have to go through. You know, they want you to it to seem, like, dangerous and everything, but it's got to be very controlled where there's, like, no room for error on these rides. However, Mr. Mulville had a different idea. He, like, he, the crazier the person was for, like, designing rides, the more he was like, fuck yeah, let's do this. And, uh, (laughs) so, and half the time, like, he would make this shit up, like, himself. Like, he would draw something on a fucking napkin and be like, that's all right, let's do this. Like, there's, uh, one of the more famous rides is the Cannonball Loop, 
which was a water slide. And uh, it was an enclosed water slide. It's like a fucking corkscrew, but it's this massively long. I want to see here if uh, they've got... See, according to Wikipedia here, it's in the mid-80s. Gar built a an exclusive water slide. Uh, this was not unusual for the time. In fact, the park already had several such slides. On this one, however, they decided to build a complete vertical loop at the end, similar to that of a roller coaster. The resulting slide, called the Cannonball Loop, was so intimidating that employees have reported they were offered $100 to test it. Uh, Fergus, who describes himself as one of the idiots who took the offer, said $100 did not buy enough booze to drown out that memory. Uh, the slide was open for only a month in 85 before it was closed at the order of the state's advisory board on Carnival Amusement Ride Safety. A highly unusual move at the time, one worker told a local newspaper that there were too many bloody noses and back injuries from riders and it was widely rumored and reported in Weird, New Jersey, that some of the test dummies uh, sent down before it opened had been dismembered and decapitated. A writer also reportedly got stuck at the top of the loop due to insufficient water pressure, and a hatch had to be installed at the bottom of the slope to allow the future extractions. Uh, the ride reopened a few more times over the years. In the summers of 95 and 96, it was open for several days before further injuries forced its permanent shutdown. Those who rode the Cannonball Loop have said that more safety measures were taken than uh, was otherwise common at the park. Riders were weighed, hosed down with cold water, instructed to remove jewelry, and then carefully instructed uh, in how they had to position their bodies to complete the ride. <laughs> for the remainder of the park's existence... Uh, Cannonball Loop remained visible near the entrance of Waterworld. It was dismantled shortly after the park closed. 2014 video footage that appeared to show riders going down the Cannonball Loop was unearthed and published online. 2015 Action Park planned to debut another water slide, the Sky Caliber, which, yeah, is it open, uh, or is a relative of the, the original guy, Eugene? The, somebody else reopened the park. Uh, but anyway, uh, they developed by Sky Turtle Technologies and the Sky Caliber, which would encase riders inside a bolt-like capsule for a 90-foot vertical drop and 30-foot. What does that have to do with? Yeah, anyway, Cannonball Loop. That thing is fucking insane looking. It doesn't specify how tall that thing is, but, I mean, it is massive. you got to, like, climb a fucking huge staircase to get up into the damn thing. And uh, according to the documentary... I mean, you can tell by looking at the pictures, like, there's no light getting inside that thing. It is complete, got to be pitch black inside that tube. And it is a very long tube. So as soon as you get in there, you can't see shit. When you go over to that corkscrew there, the vertical loop, <laughs> like, people were getting seriously hurt inside that thing. And so they put padding inside the the top of the loop just so people weren't getting too fucked up from that. And then kids were getting cut up, and they had realized when they put the padding in, kids were hitting the padding in, like, losing their teeth, getting their teeth, like, hitting their head and losing their teeth inside the padding of this fucking thing. And then other kids would go through and get cut to shit from the teeth stuck in the padding. Brutal stuff, man. Brutal stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, man, like, this is... It's such a good documentary. I mean, this, like, uh, I, I wish, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't I would want to, like, seriously hurt. People, f plenty of people fucking died at this place. Like, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I would have, like, warned it as a badge, like, going there. Like, I figure I would have gotten fucked up good. Like, people were getting injured every fucking day. But there's, like, let's see about the fatalities. There were six people are known, known to have died directly or indirectly from rides at Action Park. Getting this all off Wikipedia here, but uh, which they're wanting me to donate, so I guess I probably should. It's only two seventy five, uh, but six people are known to have died directly or indirectly from rides at Action Park. And July eighth, nineteen eighty, a nineteen year old man was riding the Alpine slide when his car jumped the track and his head struck a rock, killing him. Gene Mulville told reporters that the man was an employee because he was. Uh, because if he was an employee, 
then he wouldn't have to report his death to the state. The man worked at the park as a ski lift operator the prior season. He never worked at Action Park, and apparently in the story he had told them as well that it was raining and it was after hours, that it was nighttime to try to completely get out of it. Apparently Jerry uh, Eugene Mulville was bad about, like, he, he never settled in court, and he would... <laughs> I mean, he would make it very hard for people to, like, go after him in court. And he had a fake insurance company set up because nobody's going to insure him in this place. None of these rides were up to any kind of safety. Uh, and it was all teenagers, like, running the park. Uh, the From the documentary, like, there's, like, 14 and 15-year-olds, like, all over. And uh, it, was the, it was the nut jobs running the insane asylum, basically. They were all fucking partying, getting drunk, and having sex, and uh, it just seemed psychotic. And you see the footage in there of the park, and it's just like it's crazy. And then here again, more with the deaths. In jo- oh, oh, back what I was gonna say about this alpine slide. That ride looked pretty fucking crazy. It was those uh, metal rollers that you see like at uh, like at a factory when you've got a conveyor belt, and then there's like rollers that like think like UPS, and you got like boxes going over the rollers as they're uh, traveling along onto a conveyor belt, the big metal rollers. That's what this course was. Or maybe, a, no, no, that wasn't the Alpine slide. I'm thinking of a different one. The, there were the metal roller ones. Uh, that one's pretty crazy. I don't know the name of that ride, but they have these big, huge, long slide, and you're not just on the metal rollers. You're on a sled on top of metal rollers, <laughs> And that, this particular one, man, you would, like, skip across the water. Like, the idea was that you would skip across the water like a stone. Like, you, after you go on this slide uh, of metal rollers, then you fucking hit the water. Big drop off. You hit water, and you're supposed to skip across. But most of the time, people just got destroyed, hurt bad. But uh, <laughs> uh, back to fatalities here. July 24th, 80, 1982, a... 15-year-old boy drowned in the tidal wave pool. Then in August 1st of the same year, 1982, a 27-year-old man from Long Island got out of his tipped kayak on the kayak experience to ride it. While doing so, he stepped on a grate that was either in contact with or came too close to a section of live wiring from the underwater fans that somehow became exposed. He suffered a severe electric shock sent him into cardiac arrest. Several other members of his family nearby were also injured. He was taken to the hospital nearby Warwick, New York, where he died later of shock-induced cardiac arrest. The park at first disputed that the electric uh, electric current (laughs) caused his death, saying there were no burns on his body, but the coroner responded that burns generally do not occur in water-based electrocution. Ride was drained and closed for investigation. Accounts differed as to the extent of the exposed wiring. Park said it was just a nick, while others argued it was closer to eight inches. The state's labor department found that the fans uh, fan was properly maintained and installed, and cleared the park of wrongdoing. Uh, however, it is said the current uh, had the possibility to cause bodily harm under certain circumstances. The park claimed it had been vindicated, although it never reopened the ride, saying that people were afraid to go on it afterwards. Then again, 1984. At least there was a little bit of a gap between the next one. Uh, Date unknown of that year. It says a fatal heart attack suffered by one visitor was unofficially believed to have been triggered by the shock of the cold water in the pool beneath the Tarzan swing. They talk about the Tarzan swing quite a bit in the dock. Um... The water on the ride and in that swimming area was uh, 50 to 60 degrees, while other water areas were in the 70 to 80 degree range. More typical of swimming pools, the Tarzan Swing and Cannonball Ride in this area were operated by spring water. Then in uh, same year, August 27th of 84, Donald DePass, a 20-year-old from Brooklyn, drowned in the tidal wave pool. So that fucking two people drowned in that tidal wave pool. And then... Uh, July 19th of 87, an 18-year-old drowned in the tidal wave pool. Fucking stay out of the damn tidal wave pool. (laughs) Holy shit. But, man, there was uh, was some really crazy shit in that dock. One of the uh, 
craziest parts I thought was like again, like kids had free reign of this place. They could do whatever the fuck they wanted. And the the first death they talk about on the Alpine slide. Apparently, from what I understand, there was like a ski lift above that. Like there was a sort of a track kind of thing that you would take a slide down. It wasn't like the metal rollers. But, uh, and it was like super fast. And above it, like they had a ski lift that would take you back up to the top. And you would put your, uh, sled on the side of the ski lift. There was a little hook or something you put it on. And jackass fucking kids would go over there and just like elbow the fucking slide right off the fucking ski lift and try to hit people. And sometimes they did. They fucking hit people with like these fucking sleds from like way up high in the air. And lots of injuries. <laughs> like crazy ass shit. My f- my favorite though story was they had these uh, like little almost like bumper cars. Uh, at least of that same sort of size that uh, they had cages around them and cannons made in the front that would shoot tennis balls out of them. And uh, which looked pretty harmless out of all the things in the park. Um, however... <laughs> Some fucking kid got a hold of a canister of gasoline, doused all the tennis balls he had with the gasoline, and then fucking set that shit on fire and he was shooting into the other fucking cars. Like, fucking insane, man. Like, I remember loving, like, amusement parks and stuff when I was a kid. We didn't get a whole lot of chances to go. There was, like, every year the town and country fair we would go to as a family and uh usually uh I'd beg borrow and steal to get like a week long pass. We loved hitting the rides and such. Uh very didn't really have a whole lot of water parks around. There was one in Fenton. I don't I think I might have gone to that as a kid. Um like I only went to a water park a couple of times, but I definitely loved going to like fucking theme parks and stuff as a kid. We when we could afford to uh, you know, it was always fun to hit up like Six Flags, but that place was really expensive, so we didn't really go there much. Uh, had I lived near Action Park, I'm sure I would have been like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Seeing some of the shit that was going on, though, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how many of those rides. Like, I felt pretty strong about, uh, like, at first, when I remember when I was really young, I was like, I was a bit terrified of going on, like, roller coasters for a little bit, but as soon as I went on one I was like fuck yeah let's do this some more I could see if I was like 14 15 year olds I'd be like action park fuck yes and you know maybe I wouldn't be alive today <laughs> could it could very easily have turned out poorly for me if I would have lived near action park that that could have been very bad um <clears throat> do 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 <clears throat> Uh, but uh, I'm trying to get Trebejo on as uh, <clears throat> so he can tell us about uh, the fire. I was just looking at text messages from him, but uh, apparently I'm not getting notifications when my text messages are happening. I something screwy is going on my phone. I gotta I gotta solve that shit. That's not cool. As maybe maybe I accidentally turned off all of my notifications and I can't close this package now. I shouldn't have opened that. Um. But yeah, I used to really love going to that stuff. I can't imagine <laughs> if I would have lived near Action Park. That would have been fucking insane, man. Fuck it. Weird, wild stuff, man. That's weird, wild. Wacky. Um, you've, There's a lot of uh, famous people, though, that have, uh, that have talked about a lot about uh, Action Park. I know there was uh, on uh, Jimmy Kimmel... Johnny Knoxville went on there and they talked about Action Park and how fucking crazy it was. Yeah, well, hell, the documentary and they talked to uh, several people that had uh, <clears throat> that had been to the old Action Park, and uh, it's good stuff, good stuff. And uh, of course, I watched the latest episode of Mandalorian. Spoiler alert, you get some Boba Fett action. Although I gotta say, Tamora uh, Morrison has put on a little bit of weight. He looks kind of funny, especially 
I don't know. The the Boba Fett armor just looks kind of silly now. Like I mean, he was a kind of he was a bit of a badass though. Boba Fett more badass than he was in the original trilogy because the original trilogy he basically known for just uh, transporting Han Solo and Carbonite. Didn't really do much with that. And then, you know, he gets thrown into the Sarlacc pit. He looked cool. Uh, Darth Vader told him no disintegrations, but I feel like he probably did disintegrate people like, uh, you know, the Skywalkers and such. Uh, yeah, Uncle uh, Lars, you know. I feel like that was probably Boba Fett. And uh, I, I want to see some more Jedi action. It was pretty cool to see uh, Ahsoka. And uh, rumor has it maybe we'll see uh, one Samuel L. Jackson reprise a Mace Windu. Perhaps sometime in the series. It's thought that perhaps he... Uh, helped Grogu escape Order 66. Because obviously Grogu did not get killed by Anakin Skywalker in after Order 66 when he killed all the other younglings when he committed fucking mass genocide on little children. As he was just like an angry teen. Ah, <laughs> uh, Anakin. Anakin, Anakin. Uh, oh shit! Speaking of Anakin, fuck man, uh, man David Prowse. It sucks that uh, the the legend of David Prowse is uh, just the legend now, man. Sadly, he uh, passed away. I don't remember what day it, David uh, day it was. Uh, he was one big dude. He uh, that was seven days ago. So I guess. Right around the time he did the last podcast. Um, so many people from Star Wars have died within the last couple of years. Fucking uh, Peter Mayhew that played Chewbacca. Kenny Baker that was uh, R2-D2. I mean, this is just fucking... Carrie Fisher, obviously. <laughs> that was just a couple of years ago. Man, I guess it's been several years now since Carrie died, but... Uh, Peter Mayhew was 2019. Kenny Baker, I don't remember what year that was, but that was fairly fucking recent too. But uh, David Prowse, 85. He was uh, the bodybuilder in A Clockwork Orange, if you're familiar with that. And, uh, oh man, here's a picture with Peter Mayhew, David Prowse, and Kenny Baker. Uh I feel, I mean, I did kind of feel bad for the guy, but at the same time, it's like, man, you were, I'm sure you probably didn't make that much money for Star Wars, but, uh, <clears throat> if you watch the footage of, uh, A New Hope, because George Lucas had told him that, hey, we're gonna, we're re- recording your lines in the suit, we, we know it doesn't sound good, because in the helmet, like, it didn't sound very good, but don't worry, we're gonna re- record your lines later. And he told him, or at least gave him the impression that he was going to still be using David Prowse's voice for the part of Darth Vader. However, I mean, he used a much better voice in uh, James Earl Jones. And uh, uh, he uh, held a grudge over that. Which I can understand him being pissed off, but man, James Earl Jones, man, that's, that's a good voice. I mean, he was the body. Prowse was the body behind that. Just the overwhelming physical presence inside there. But, uh, <clears throat> man, that voice was something else, too, though. James Earl Jones is up there as well. He, uh, Prowse was in a lot of, uh, old horror movies as well. Is uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, he made his uh, film de- debut in the 67 James Bond spoof Casino Royale, playing Frankenstein's creature. Part he was asked to play again in two films from the iconic Hammer film series, 70s horror of Frankenstein and 74's Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. 
He also regularly featured on cult series such as The Saint, Space 1999, and Dr. Hugh. Dr. Hugh. Dr. Hugh. <laughs> uh, huffing in all those fumes from uh, soldering is still getting to me, I think. Uh, or maybe it's the Guinness. I don't know. But he was also in Dr. Who, in which he was a cast as a minotaur in the 72 episode The Time Monster, opposite John Pertwee. Behind the scenes in Hollywood circles, Prowse prepared the late Christopher Reeve for physical demands of the role as Superman as the actor's personal trainer. Spotted by director George Lucas in the 71 film Clockwork Orange, in which he played a bodyguard, Prowse was invited to audition for the roles of Darth Vader and Chewbacca in 77's uh, A New Hope, Episode 4. <clears throat> I like how they put it, Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, but back then it was just known as Star Wars. Uh, he later told BBC's Tanya Beckett he chose Vader over Chewbacca because you always remember the bad guys. I didn't realize he had a choice. With the success of Star Wars, Prowse became a regular on the fan circuit and attended conventions around the world for almost 40 years. He was rumored to have later fallen out with director George Lucas and was banned from official events in 2010. Despite the enduring clamor for Star Wars, the actor always maintained that playing the Green Cross Codeman, which he first portrayed in 1975, was the best job he ever had. Uh, dressed in a distinctive green and white superhero suit, he became the face of British road safety for more than a decade, known for his catchphrase, Stop, Look, and Listen. Brought up in Bristol, he spent his later years living in Croydon, a loving husband, father, and grandfather. His autobiography, Straight from the Force's Mouth, was published in 2011. Right around the time George Lucas broke ties, so I guess he had some awful things to say about him in that book. Uh, <clears throat> he's one big dude. Yeah. Man. Now that I'm looking at, like, look at uh, James Earl Jones's age, like, man, it's... <clears throat> he's probably not going to be around much longer either. He's uh, born in 31. So, shit, yeah. He's, uh... Whew, 89 years old. Fuck, he's about to be 90. On January 17th, he'll be uh, 90. Gotta love that voice, though. Fuck. But, uh, yeah, I'm still excited to see more uh, Mando. As that's been one uh, bright light in the uh, shittiness that is 2020. The dumpster fire of a year. As at least we're almost over with it. But, uh, you know, at least the beginning of next year is still going to be a bit of a dumpster fire. Hopefully, once there's enough vaccinations for everybody, stuff kind of dies down a little bit and we don't have have to uh, all hide out in bunkers, huffing on fumes from uh, soldering shit. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just had to choose some... This Guinness Extra Stout is so bitter... <laughs> Like, I can do it at least at the beginning of the bottle, but then we, you know, after a while, it's like, ooh, that extra stout is extra stouty. It's extra bitter. And I like the Guinness, and I like the flavor of Guinness. I didn't at one point. But I don't like that it's quite so bitter. Like, tamp it down just a little bit. Regular Guinness is totally fine with me. <laughs> you didn't need to make it extra. <laughs> I've never been a smoker, but I can imagine it must be like having a fucking menthol. <laughs> it is a tad rough. Mm. Oh, here soon I'm going to slap that guitar back together. Speaking of soldering, and man, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> I'm going to reset the bridge and everything. And, uh, whew. I'm afraid that I plug it in, it's, it's just not going to work. Like, uh, I have no confidence at all in what I just soldered. <laughs> or, like, it'll work, but it's just going to be just one horrid buzz. <laughs> like, <laughs> flip from pickup to pickup, and it's just one one louder buzz than the next. It's just <laughs> something. Like, uh, 
I've just envisioned myself having to take it to the up to the music store and like, please fix this. <laughs> like, I don't know what I did. Just, just please, like, uh, could you could you do something? To, could you make it work? <laughs> it just might now. It is a semi-hollow guitar, so I mean, you can hear it like acoustically somewhat. It's like a a, a quiet acoustic, so it might just become a full-time acoustic guitar if this uh, if I butchered this thing too bad. Like I, I, I have some some confidence that when I plug it in, that it'll make some some decent tones. I don't know. Well, uh, <laughs> I didn't have much directions to go off of. The Dark Moon, like I, I went off just because of those YouTubers I had watched and just the sounds of like their pickups sounded really good. And uh, and I'm not gonna lie, the artwork on their. Uh, on their website looks pretty good. I like the the art, their uh, logo and shit, and uh, just like their designs on stuff. So I'm like, fuck yeah, let's let's go with this. I'm just like, they got me the pretty art, and uh, I feel like I don't know how old they are. Maybe they haven't been around a whole long, but they should definitely get some YouTube videos going on. Get some people to like go on and show you the full process of soldering together. Uh, like the split coil and the uh, all of that. They're already like pre-wired kits. I didn't have to solder that much on there, but I don't know. I'd never really looked at a wiring diagram before, and they do have a wiring diagram on their website. Like they don't. That's another thing. They could they could print you out a little thing, you know, and throw that in there. I mean, I I have I was able to go on the internet, but you'd think they'd at least. Throw a little something in there. But, uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully that stuff works out. I didn't have any uh, <laughs> heat wrap stuff to wrap the wires in either, which I feel like I probably should have <laughs> done that around some wires. I'm afraid I may have some bare wire crossing over some things that it shouldn't be. <laughs> probably short circuit the damn thing. I know I messed up, <laughs> oh, wired one part to the wrong thing, and then I looked at the diagram some more, like, oh, fuck, no, I gotta completely rewire that now. I hooked it to the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, you know, like, now, now that I've seen what it takes, like, I, I don't think I'll be attempting to change parts like that. Then again, maybe a Stratocaster one day. Stratocaster seems slightly easier to do it with. There's more room when you take those pickups out. It seems like an easier do that and you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't put anything crazy in there like a split coil or or uh some crazy shit like that in there. There was just like too much too much to do with that, I think. As uh <laughs> Had I gone with the, like, you can go, there's a couple different options with their wiring harnesses. If you go with the humbucker. And, uh, I went with the uh, deluxe LP wiring harness. That's the Les Paul wiring harness. Uh, which I guess you can either go with that or they have the Jimmy Page one. And the Jimmy Page one might be a pretty simple one. Oh no, he's got. He's got a lot going on. They got a lot going on the Jimmy Page one. Fuck that one. <laughs> That's basically shit. It looks like worse to deal with than the one I did, just did. <laughs> There's uh, less places to put a ground on. Um, <clears throat> there is uh, when you go with the deluxe LP wiring harness. Uh, if you go with their standard one, it looks like it would be a hell of a lot easier. Go with the fifties wiring style. I guess the modern modern is not that different. You can go modern, and it doesn't fuck with it too much. But if you go and add a coil tap in, this is when shit gets crazy. The coil tap starts really fucking with shit. You got it. Uh, there's extra shit on there that gets in your way, and it's kind of more of a problem. And then if you go and add the treble bleed circuit. I felt like I didn't really need to do it, but it's like wasn't adding much on. And uh, those, those two extra parts that get soldered on there, and they're really kind of in the way. And <laughs> I really feel like I could have done without that. Man, and there was, 
And that forgot to mention her too earlier. When I reamed the holes, there was another hole I had to make that was bigger. After I got everything all wired up, and <laughs> the output jack, I had it soldered together, and I didn't think that one would be bigger than the output jack that was originally on there because the output jack, the plug that's going in there is all the same size. So theoretically to me it says like, well, it should be the same size fucking jack, right? Apparently not. No, this one was bigger as well. So I had to take a reamer through this metal and I probably destroyed the reamer, but the reamer didn't cost a whole lot. So if I should ever find myself in a position where I need to put a fucking hole in a guitar again, I'll man up and buy another reamer, but I had to take the reamer. It was hard to ream out that metal, you know, just blasting a bigger hole through metal was a bit harder than uh, some wood. (laughs) So it was, uh, wouldn't recommend that. Wouldn't recommend that, but I got it in there. I got it in. I forced it in. It is, uh, it is a hole that, uh, (laughs) that, uh, it works out now. And uh, hopefully when I plug instrument jack, uh, instrument cable in there, that uh, it all works out. <laughs> but I'll we'll find out here shortly as uh, that, uh, man, I'm now I'm looking at this picture. I'm like, oh, did I, did I fucking wire that right? <laughs> like, I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just don't know. It's, uh. There's uh, a, yeah, well, I guess that's all I really have got. So uh, hopefully this thing works out when I go to plug it in. That's, again, I am just not feeling very comfortable about that. But uh, it should hopefully work. I mean, I spent enough time on it. Should, something should happen when I plug this thing in. It may not be good. Something will happen. Uh, I might need that last Guinness afterwards. All right. Well, as always, that is a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.